What's up everyone, welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in, now let's get this episode underway. guys i'm really excited i've got a fantastic guest joining me on the life livers academy podcast today he's a man i'm really interested to dive in and have a chat with his name is david neathy and he is a mental performance coach he is i guess the mindset architect of a lot of our top athletes and ceos in this country he's coached the likes of lydia ko israel adesanya uh, the new zealand breakers and a huge list of commonwealth and olympic athletes uh Mental performance is something that I'm personally very fascinated in, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. David, I appreciate you giving up your time and having a chat, man. Hey, thanks, Jamie. I'm looking forward to having a little, uh, some time with you, buddy. Fantastic. Look, I want to dive straight into it. There's a quote on your website that caught my eye. Perception is projection. What you see, you get. Uh, it spoke to me, and it obviously spoke to you. What is it? Why is that quote so important to you, and, and what does it mean? Well, I think it's helping people understand that, you know, and, and the principle behind that is where we, uh, where we focus our thoughts. So thoughts become things. It's the power of perception. What we focus on, what we, 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 we start to attain in our life. So what's really interesting is uh, with athletes, uh, and here's the interesting thing, we have something like sixty to 80,000 thoughts a day. Mm. I feel sorry for the poor prick trying to keep count, but that's a massive, <laughs> it's a massive amount of thoughts, right? So you can imagine, you know, for me in working with athletes, athletes will have goals and aspirations. Now, what we find at a very at a subconscious level is when they're in alignment, and what I'm talking about is their their intentions and attentions, their conscious and unconscious processes are in alignment. Uh, then we can manifest and, and we get on this journey. Now, with a lot of athletes, we find that they tend to have what I call contaminating thoughts. And something will sabotage the pathway. You know, how many, how many athletes, you know, when you go and sit down with them and say, hey, how many of you want to be a world champion? Now, all of them will probably put their hands up, especially with kids, I want to be this, I want to be that. But how many athletes actually make it? Now, if we put this in the context of the fight game, I would say it's pretty much the 95% rule. Mm. 95% of them will participate, only 5% become champions. Mm. So what's the difference here? Now, let's face it, to a certain point, I think most of these guys, if you look at their environment that they're in, they're all working their butts off, some more than others, but generally they're all working hard. They're all looking after their nutrition. They've all got good striking coaches. They're, 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 they're doing the research, blah, blah, blah. But why is it only a few make it to the top? And I would say to you, uh, in my experience, mate, in years and years, I mean, I don't know how many, I think I'm something like 50,000 clinical hours. Far out. I think of all the time and energy I've put in over the, like, tw- over 25 years, mate. Yeah. I, you know, I, I say to people this, you know, what percent, when I sit down with fighters, I'll go, and if I'm running a seminar, I'll say, what percent of you uh, believe that uh, part of the fight game is mental? Now, everyone puts their hand up, 100%. And then I say to you, if we're going to put it in a percentage, what's it worth? Because you've got striking, you've got your training, you've got your nutrition, you've got your recovery protocols, blah, blah, blah. And generally what I get is most of them would say it's between 70 and 100%. Mm. Well, if that's the case, how many of you are putting 70 to 100% of your focus on your mental side of things? Totally. Do you know what I mean? Um, we take it for granted. Now, for me, I don't know how many times I've had a client come in that has got talent, has got the ability, uh, has got the work ethic, but they're just not performing at the level they want. Now, for me personally, when it comes to hopping in the octagon, what percent of it of it is mental? For me, I'm a biased bastard. <laughs> I think it's 100%. Because I think the rest is redundant at that point. 
Yeah, you've you done can't the stop the fight and go, hey, listen, guys, I need a little bit more conditioning. We'll come back in a week, eh? Or mm-hmm. I need to talk to, you know, some strategies and work at uh, making some improvements. Yeah. The moment you stand and step into that ring, it is 100% mental. Now, in that point with my athletes, I want them to have an undoubtable belief in themselves. Mm. I want them fearless and relentless with what they need to do. I do not want them aggressive, nor do I want them passive. I want them in the zone. I want them assertive. Mm. Now, you get a lot of fighters that seem to think they go into a fight and it's about rip, shit, and bust. Yeah, totally. getting aggro. And here's the fundamental thing. If you look at your top uh, athletes, and I think Israel is a prime example, the reason why he's such a success is isn't necessarily because he's a great athlete, he's got a great agility, he's got great timing. But Israel has intellect. Oh, he's one of the most intelligent athletes. I mean, we've spoken Absolutely about this right. this with you and with other people, but he he is incredible with his intelligence, not just in the ring, but what he does out of it, the way he prepares his mental game, the way he visualizes. Everything about that guy stands out above the rest. Correct. And that is what we model when people work with me, they will learn how to manage their thoughts more effectively mm. so that they have what I call an undoubtable belief in self. So, you know, you think about that for a minute. If you and I were going to fight and you thought that I was going to win and I knew I was going to win, more than likely who's going to win? It's yeah. going to be me at the time. Totally. Now, what you'll find with athletes is that when I start working with them, one of the first things I'm going to ask them is, do you mind if, I, if I'm blunt and honest with you? Because I'm going to – it's a bit like an onion, mate. Well, the thing that gets in the way with a lot of athletes is their ego. Yeah. So I'm going to peel it right back. And believe me, mate, I, I can get away with it. Probably because I'm a big fucker. I was too, about you know? to say, that probably helps. <laughs> you know? And it's like I, I'm not, I have a reputation, mate. I, I have a reputation for not pulling punches. I don't give a fuck how big you are. I will be blunt and honest with you. Yeah. And in doing so, it's not because I'm trying to get one over them. It's because we have to get to the essence. I need to construct belief systems that are so solid that even when you're going through tough times, that tenacious resolve is so intense. Mm. So how do you develop that? Because that's got to be a massive part of all tenacious resolve. It's a key phrase. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase, isn't it? It is and indeed. That's about having that. You know, that's that's a combination of a couple of key things, right? Number one is building incredible belief systems, right? And belief systems that are solid, uh, belief systems that are flexible. Then you've got to back it up with an incredible sense of imagination. Right? So these guys, I mean, how many athletes know the importance of visualization? Um, and studies have been done to prove this, mate. We, they had the example of the basketball team where they had three groups. They had one that was eating pizza, mm. one that was visualizing the free throw, and the other group that were practicing. Now, We all can guess who was the worst performing, and that was my group uh, because (laughs) I was enjoying the pizza. But the group that performed the best was the ones that practiced. Now, what's interesting, though, is the difference between those that practice and those that visualize was minimal. Mm. So that that mental rehearsal was almost as effective as the actual rehearsal. Yeah, and I think for a lot of athletes, it's learning how to visualize. Hmm. In my years of experience, most people have a flash, so they'll have a a, a vision of it. Now, depending on the individual, some people will be associated and some will be disassociated. Either Either, what I teach them is how to get into a state that based on the principle that the subconscious mind has no idea of reality or time. So they learn how to visualize. We talk about perceptional positioning, uh, where you can see yourself being competent. Then you can go into your own body and feel those associated feelings that you want. 
And now, well, that, so that's the imagination side of things. Next is conviction. So those things are combined of belief systems and imagination backed up with behavior. Mm. Right? So the bottom line is we behave our way to success. So with that behavior, we can expand on that into the importance of nutrition, the importance of sleep, recovery, uh, where your focus is dealing with stress, minimizing stress. I mean, all these little things can contaminate a performance of an athlete, mm. right? And I'll, I'll give you a little story on that. I had a, a golfer come to me who was performing okay, but just wasn't kind of finishing the job. And through the whole process of, of you know, the conversation, what I saw was uh, a change in his physiology when he started talking about his family. And so what you can appreciate, what we worked out was, if I nail this two-foot putt for a win, that probably means that I'm going to be away from my family for a little bit longer because I'm going to get invites to other events. Right. And so what we had, we had an internal clash. His intentions were to win, but he wanted to spend time with his family. So we adjusted a few things, uh, looked at the schedule, looked at ways of being able to spend more time with the family and being more effective with that. This guy is now averaging around about $1.4 to $1.7 million a year on tour. <laughs> wow. And so when you're looking at that, are you looking at body? Like what feedback are you looking for in order to pick up on those cues? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of things. That obviously, physiology, it's syntax of language. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of little cues that over a, It's hard to explain. It's like uh, over the years, I just get this feeling. I, I, I just – this intuition. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably my um, – that's gift. probably my gift. You know what I mean? Um, and I will pick up on things that others don't know. Ironically – this is the stuff that Israel was fascinated in. Mm. And isn't it interesting now how it's reflected when he'll talk constantly about, oh, he'll pick up a little thing, he'll listen to people more intensely now. Mm. He's looking for congruent communication. Yeah. Because what's interesting with a lot of fighters, they'll say one thing, but the body's language is not quite congruent with it. Yeah, that's amazing. See, that even his yeah. intellect, to, put, to, to take that yes. skill from you and go, right, I can see that in my opponent now. And I can start to instantly yep. win that mental battle. I mean, he did that with Costa during the week, right? And, and he's done it with absolutely. probably everyone. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely fucked up Costa in the head. I mean, yeah. Costa's still recovering from it. He, well, he did it with Romero as well. I mean, he tricked Romero yeah. into not fighting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just at the bottom line, you know, with the top athletes and especially in the fight game, if you haven't got intellect, I would say you, 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 you doubt very much you're going to go a long way. Yeah, totally. Um, one of the things that we also worked on with these guys is what we call the principle of requisite variety. Right. And what does that mean? Um, and one of the most <laughs> important things. Now, ironically, I say this and talk about this, but I think what you've got to appreciate, uh, and the key, I think, uh, in a huge way with the City Kickboxing Boys uh, I think lies with the coaching team. Mm. And I think you have uh, with um, Eugene and Doug, uh, Eugene especially is a very, very switched on man. Totally, yeah. Um, he will work shit out. He, he, will, he will have the, the fighter's uh, interest best of heart and he will, he will identify the, the pathway. Mm. And these guys have a huge trust in their coaching team. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's something very, very special, mate. Totally. How much mental work are, the, are guys like that doing then? Because you talk about the important, you know, it's they when you ask them, they say it's 70%. And then you said, well, yeah. how, mu how much work are you doing? Are you doing 70% with the mental work? What, with yeah. those guys, they're clearly, the success they're having to roll out more than just one guy who's got championship credentials, but a whole team of champions that are on the road or at least yeah. on the road to being champions. How, how are they integrating the mental work? Is that something that they do as individuals? Is that something that they're doing, uh, you know, through drills and putting themselves under pressure every day in the gym and practicing the mental skills? What does that look like? Well, yeah, it's a number of different things. First and foremost, when working with me, generally these guys will see me <clears throat> and we'll have an action reflection process based on our coaching process. Um, and they'll probably come and see me uh, every probably once a month. 
Right. I'll come and spend an hour with me. Uh, from there, we'll give them drills. Now, the mental conditioning sometimes is contained within the training. So uh, with the city kickboxing boys, we're talking about mental fortitude. So have you seen some of their training? Yeah, yeah. They put themselves in, like literally like, in the lion's den and, and, and yeah. either single. So the, boys, the boys will line up. You've got uh, three three-minute rounds, and in every 30 seconds, you've got someone fresh coming in trying to beat you up. Yeah. Um, and this is where the thing is, these guys get familiar and comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm, and that's a key point. <laughs> that's conditioning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the key to success. It's, so, you know, when I talk about the principle of requisite variety, we're talking about the intellectual ability of a fighter to adjust on the fly. So, for instance, you have a fight plan and it's not quite going to plan. They need to be able to change mm. very quickly, change the game plan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There are times when it's important to stick to the game plan when you know potentially uh, you may question it. And it's a combination of both the intuition and the call from the coaching team as well, as well, right? But these guys have to be able to adapt. And, and that is applicable in so many different ways. Sometimes that could be uh, whether it's fighting at altitude, whether it's fighting in a different environment. Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors here where guys are traveling a long way. Um, their meal plan hasn't quite gone to plan. Um, and we go back to what we were discussing before about belief systems. I've talked about strong universals. So one of the key ones for us is in order to fight effectively, we just have to show up. So many athletes I've seen have said to me, oh, I've had a perfect preparation. I've had a perfect, everything was just perfect. And I didn't quite finish the job. And I went, well, here's the reality. How often do you have a perfect camp? Yeah. How often do you have it? I mean, I want beliefs because they only believe they can win if they have that. Yeah, or, right. mate, I want universal belief systems. So all my fighters, in order to win, they just have to step into that ring, mate. Yeah. I like it. What about I if you're – the- What about if just in general life, you talk about the importance of belief systems, and that's not just for – athletic performance that's for starting a business that's for pursuing a career you want that's yeah. for for doing anything but so often people have no yeah. comprehension or understanding of belief systems or how to build them and so like for anyone listening to this who's you know maybe there are some professional athletes or aspiring athletes listening maybe there's just some people who are yeah. out there at the moment who seem to keep screwing things up for themselves and and you know can't get out of their own way how do you start to what are some steps that you can take to start to build those better belief systems I think one of the best ways is uh, let's understand what a belief system is first. Mm, yeah. and, and a belief system, in the simplest term, is something I hope is true. Right? And the whole purpose of a belief system generally is there's usually a hierarchy of values. Mm. Now, that, that hierarchy probably looks like a triangle. Uh, and let's face it, a, a, a value is what I call a preference times a priority. So we have different preferences and priorities in our life. And again, sometimes that's where you can get a bit of clash, right? So I value my family, but I value fighting. Mm, Totally. That can cause some conflict, you know what I mean? Um, But the whole purpose of those values, belief systems, it's a bit like a DNA. They attach, we attach belief systems to support those values. Mm. So if there's any sort of conflict, I need to go in there and, and maybe rethink those those belief systems so that they support the values more effectively. Or we need to make adjustment with your values. Yeah, so it starts with self-awareness, essentially. Mate, yeah, and one of the most effective ways, one of the things I talk about is mind your language. Yeah, 100%. You know, I'll get this with an athlete and I'll go, so how did you go? Oh, fuck, this always happens to me, man. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, so we've got a belief system here. Yeah, you're a right? victim straight away. Right? Yeah, and you know the thing here is uh, I, I teach my clients <clears throat> to get off the victim's triangle because they'll either play the victim or they'll persecute themselves or they want to be rescued. Yeah. And every single one of those things is very 
uh, it's not very effective. No, it's disempowering completely. Ownership's the only state that you want to be in. They're like complete total ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've heard the old saying, bed and all, right? What was that, sorry? Bed and all. Get out no. of bed. No, so I haven't. about above the, above the line and below the line. So if you draw a line and up the top you went OAR, that's where I want you to be. So that's right. ownership accountability and responsibility nice below the line is blame excuse and denial nice so we teach our athletes or and your clients you know where are you at any time with your consciousness mm. are you above the line or below the line i like that that's a such good framework yeah and it is about what you said before it's about self-awareness here's the reality you can't change anything you don't first recognize mm. So I'm constantly going, I'll interrupt you if you're in the middle of a sentence and you go, and I'll go, nah, in the past you may have been like that. So where are we now? Let's just change that language. I want you to reframe that. Yeah, and right. And they get pissed off because they'll go, look, I'm just trying to express what's going on. I said, yeah, but is it fucking helping? Is it working? Yeah. So let's learn to reframe everything to serve. Mm. What's the vision? I want to be a world champion. Well, when you talk like that, is that congruent with that vision? Yeah, totally. And I'll tell you the most powerful word, buddy. I come in and I sit down with these guys and I'll say, well, we're going to put some affirmations together. And here's the most beautiful word I've used for 25 years. And it's so fucking simple, it's brilliant. And it's this. I give myself permission to be world champ. Wow. Is that something that you see holding people back a lot that they haven't given themselves that permission that they like, is that, is that if you were to pick one of the top things that's holding people back is that they just haven't actually given themselves permission to have a full crack or where does that come from? What's really interesting is I'm not interested in trying to go back into your history and try and, fucking sort out because you had some problems with as a kid, blah, blah, blah. Listen, and generally you've got to appreciate, I'm dealing with relatively functional people. Now, we all have our little stories, believe me, right? Um, but I need you to be focusing on the future. Um, and so going through that process when I talk about giving yourself permission and they really get it, it's almost like all that baggage, we, we, we've let it go. Mm. Well, it's also one of those things where like you know, a lot of the time, a lot of personal development and stuff is about diving back into the past and unlocking stuff. But you can spend the rest of your life doing that or you can rewire your brain. Yeah, man, I don't know about that. It's fucking tiring going back. And I mean, like I said, I, I've often said to my clients, look, is that your victim story? Because I ain't fucking interested. Yeah, so create a new one, right? Like you, yeah, you have the... Listen. You can't, you can't move forward fucking looking backwards, can you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Look, because believe me, you might have a tough story. I'll tell you what. I can come up with a client who's got more success than you with the worst fucking victim story. So it's almost like we've got – and we're really good at creating it. Well, it just it – just, exactly. But it just – there's never a situation that arises where having that perception serves you. All it does is disempower you. And actually, in all of those stories, your adversity is always your greatest advantage if you have the right perception of it, right? Yeah, well, it's like, what's the story you're telling yourself, man? And it's like, what's the learning from this? What, what, I mean, this is going to empower you to move forward. And we all have challenges. God damn. I believe that in order for people to have success in their life, they need one thing. That thing is a hundred trillion cells. <laughs> what are we made up of, man? Yeah, we've got it. You know, and people got to realize you've got everything you need right now to be a success in life. People talk about, you know, me with dyslexic. Um, I've got a good colleague of mine, Ken Calton. He's um, he's got multiple sclerosis. Yeah. This guy gets paid to travel around the world to speak. Yeah, I know. He's an amazing guy. You know what I mean? Oh, we're catching up for, for breakfast a couple of weeks' time. And I, I, I tell you, man, people look at him and go, oh, but little do they know what this dude has done. Oh, man, you he's know, incredible. There's, there's so many stories, mate. You know, 
one key thing that stuck with me with Cam when I spoke to him was he said one phrase to me and he said, because I was talking to him about growing up with cerebral palsy and, you know, how he went on to do the two things that he was told he could never do, which was run and be a professional athlete and speak. (laughs) The two biggest handicaps that people said he had, he went and made careers out of. And I said, how how do you do that? And he said, don't let other people's limiting beliefs limit your life. And I was like, isn't that beautiful? Fuck. (laughs) And And, it's just... it, that's reflective of him, and look at how he looks. How look how he frames up his model of the world. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, mate? You know what, how I frame it up? It's like this: it's like winter. Some people in winter bitch and moan about the cold. Other people ski. Yeah, I love that. And and that's it's it's why do people complicate shit? It's that easy. Find so regardless of what's happening to you, find out and work at the, at the yeah. essence of it is work out how it's serving you because it's not happening. It's that old saying, right? Is where it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. Yeah, and I think you know ultimately we're all at cause. You've caused it. Now that can be very challenging to comprehend, to understand, but you are exactly where you should be in life right now due to the sum of your thoughts and the behaviours you have displayed. Totally. And that's about that ownership piece again, but taking ownership is fucking hard. Well, it's hard for most, but listen, ownership will set you free. Hmm. And then what happens with that? So in working with a client, this is understand. So when I said you will peel back that onion, Hmm. then we'll start constructing some strong belief systems attached to that, 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 that vision and, and those values, and we start reconstructing it, right? Um, and what happens then is that people's perceptions change and they start taking action, which then starts building momentum. Now, when you start getting momentum, mate, hold on for the ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it, it's so, I mean, the testimonials. I think for me the buzz, I, I you know I, I remember I had a young lad who a very timid. He wasn't particularly confident, but just a lovely kid. And his parents sent him to me. He was a swimmer, and uh, he was okay. Didn't really do much. So I started working with him, and this is the buzz I get. So he had the nationals come up. And they had finished and they were driving home. And I got this phone call from the mum and dad, right? Now, you've got to appreciate, parents pay good money to see me. So they certainly, ideally want to return on that investment. Mm-hmm. And so I get this phone call saying, Dave, we're so wrapped. We just want to let you know, because they're all pumped up and excited. Um, he actually had a three-second PB in one of his events, right? Now, here's this. That was his worst event. <laughs> And then there was like this fucking drum roll because they're all screaming. And then he went, in his favorite event, he had a 13-second PB. Jeez. How? You know what, what I mean? What, you what's, know. What, what was the shift there? Belief and just seeing the end result and fully backing himself? I mean, what's the shift to make such a massive change? He gave himself permission to compete. Yeah. Do what I mean? are people? What are people scared of? Why don't we give ourselves permission? What are we scared of there? I think you know. Well, we just sometimes we're comfortable, mate. Yeah. Are we scared yeah. of what we can achieve, though? Are you scared? Do you reckon yeah, we're? We we can be scared of success as much as we're scared of failure. Mm. And you know what's ironic, mate? There's a thing called motivational filtering systems. Now, the most powerful is to move away from something, right? Yep. To most of us, pain. in order to pain is a beautiful motivator, right? And let's face it, I fucking love pain. Yeah, real athletes embrace it, right? I'm just looking at you now and going, okay, you obviously train, buddy. Yeah, so love it. You know, you know that if you're going to build some freaking decent arms, you got to go through pain. Totally. And when the body's going, fuck no more. You're going, mate. I'm doing another five reps. To be honest, mate, the gym and it's probably. Similar to you, but the gym yeah. has been my training. I don't train for the physical, and I very—I mean, I do to a certain extent. But I've yeah. always trained for the mental aspect. Every time I walk into the gym, I see it as a training ground to get mentally tougher. Uh, particularly if I'm like I try and do things like if I 
have no energy and I'm having one of those days where I'm a bit flat or something, I'll make myself train the body part I hate the least, which is legs, uh, the most, which is legs. And I'll go in and I'll, I'll like, I, I use it as the ultimate training ground to get myself yeah. to do shit that I don't want to do and to push further than yeah. I can. And then you build those reps mentally. And then when you go in to do business stuff or speaking that yeah. you're afraid of or anything else, you can draw on the thousands of reps that you've had in the gym every day. And yeah. it's not about the physical. It's about the fucking mental stuff that you put yourself through. Yes, mate. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. It's a metaphor for life, isn't it? It totally is, mate. I think about even things like recently with COVID and, you know, when I've had family tragedies and like real stuff that's pushed me and, and challenged me. I have no doubt that the way that I've responded to it is because of the 10, 15 years of physical conditioning that I've done in the gym. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I became obsessed. That was, uh, it, the gym was my saviour. Yeah, me too. It, it, it is my church, mate. You love going to that. It's an opportunity for you to push yourself as far as you can every single day, right? Pain means new life. Mm. Yeah, and resistance—resistance oh, resistance is strength. That's that's the reality. Oh, it, mate, and, and, you know, it's interesting. People that train really understand this. Yeah, and it, mate, it's it's honestly like I'm just thinking about adversity because I feel like a lot of the time people shy away from adversity, and there's not one yeah. person that I've spoken to on this podcast who hasn't been shaped by their adversity or used adversity to their advantage yeah. to to achieve success. And if you can have that perspective where you are in the moment able to have the perception of what's actually happening and how it's serving you and how it's growing you, you can never really put yourself in a bad situation because you can find strength and learnings and growth in everything that happens to you. And that's a fucking exciting place to be. But I feel like a lot of people can't get there. I don't know whether it's because they haven't you know, like the gym obviously is a tool and it helps you and you start to get that understanding. And then once you've been through some of that stuff, you get on the other side of it and you see that, that it was a good thing. But I find like, I feel like a lot of people struggle to get there in the first place. Like as it's happening to them, they're so emotionally reactive that they don't have that ability to just like see it from the right side. (laughs) Well, I think the other thing we've got to appreciate is the prime directive of the subconscious mind is to protect you. Yeah, totally. So when it comes to threshold, the, 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 the processes kick in and go, hey, listen, stop. Mm. And what we've got to appreciate, you know, I, I want to be able to push those boundaries so that we can push through so that that spectrum moves back further and further. Yeah, totally. You know, it's a bit like, you know, people, how many bodybuilders struggle to build calves, right? And someone said to me, fuck, Nathan, you've got, you're bloody strong and got decent sized cars. I mean, I've got 20 inch cars, mate. <laughs> and um, what was the key? And I said, well, here's the difference with you and I. You know, when it starts to burn, you probably do three or more reps. You do three. When, when, I, when I train, when it starts to burn, that's when I start to count. Yeah, exactly. It's that old Muhammad Ali quote. Hey, I love that. Um, I didn't count yeah. how many sit-ups I did. I counted when it started hurting because they're the ones that count or something along those lines. Correct. And uh, that, uh, like I said, that's a metaphor for life too, buddy. Totally. Man. What about, what? let's talk about ego because I feel like that's quite a um, quite an interesting thing to talk about. I've It can obviously get in the way and slow you down, but I've heard uh, you talk about alter ego and creating an alter ego and the power of having an alter ego, particularly for the athletes. Yep. I've also read uh, Todd Herman's yep. book, and um, he talks about creating an alter ego as well. What Talk about that concept and, and I guess, you know, where people could use that and where that's relevant because it feels to me like that is a concept that people could grasp straight away, go away and build and work on. And it's oh, like, it's like really turning yourself cool. into Superman. Exactly, mate. Now, here, here's the basic principle. When you can recognize that you're lacking resources, I want you to pretend and act as if, so, for instance, you're about to do a presentation and you're shitting yourself because you hate presenting. Uh, the alter ego is basically, who's a great presenter that you love? Pretend that you're them. Mm. So I'll, I'll give you a little story on this because it, 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 it's constantly entertaining. Um, but I'll go back to the initial question. So what's the purpose of the ego? Um, in real fundamental terms, the purpose of the ego is to protect us. Right? We will have, oh, yeah, you ready? You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're just trying to protect us. It's not the, necessarily the best way to operate, um, but that's the purpose of the ego. Now, it, there'll be other d- 
other ways of determining that when people have different concepts. And for me, that is what's most relevant in, in, in my experience working with athletes, right? Yeah. Now, alter ego. Here's a little story for you. So I get a phone call from a, 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 an older lady who, a dear old thing, who was playing golf. And I got a phone call from her saying, Dave, I've got a big game coming up and I can't play bunker shots for shit. And I'm freaking out, right? And I said, listen, I'm going to come over and we'll spend some time together, right? Because sometimes it's not about working with all the stars. It's about working with the average person too, mate. You know what I mean? So here I am sitting in there and I said, well, just show me what's going on. You know, belief systems, eh? Right? So... Remember when you were challenging a belief, isn't it interesting? People will work harder and harder on holding on to that belief. Mm. They, oh, they will convince you, no, fuck it, I can, this is it. This is my reality. So I throw some balls in there and she goes, look, I fucking, look, I showed, I can't do this. Right? So she's working really hard to prove that her, she's right about her belief. So I said, okay, well, we'll just get out for a minute. And so I pat and interrupt, talk about other shit, just to get out, disassociated. And then I said to you, have you ever sort of acted or, you know, do you like movies and, and, and you know, the crowd of stuff? Oh, yeah, I love movies. But I says, well, look, do you want to just play a little game? Just just bear with me. Have, let's have some fun, eh? Fuck, there's no one else out here. Let's have some fun. He goes, you're on. So I throw some balls in there. I said, this is what I want you to do. Who's your favourite golfer? And she said, Annika Sorensen. I said, why? Because she's the greatest of all time, David. Absolutely the greatest of all time. I said, okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to pretend that you're Annika Sorensen, right? So I want you to step into her body now, and I want you to pretend that you're running a clinic for hundreds of women here, around, all sitting around. And I want you to beat Annika and just show how brilliant you are. So she steps in there and she goes, well, a couple of key things have been setting up for your bunker shot. You've got to bring your feet down, your, 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 blah, blah, blah. So she pops this ball out. She pops it again. And then she goes to the third woman, what the fuck have you done to me? I said, I've done a fucking thing. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just watching Annika hit balls out of a fucking bunker. And she went, oh, my God. I said, look. How about when you play your game? And this is what I work on with my athletes. If you don't feel empowered, just pretend. Borrow resources. Act as if. Well, I got a lovely, a lovely email from her saying that she played really well. She won her game, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much. Uh, and I said, and have you talked to your coach about making some practice time for your bunker shots, right? Because <laughs> even Annika has to practice, okay? Um, but what's beautiful is, you know, a couple of key things with athletes. Sometimes the biggest problem we have with athletes is they try too hard. Mm. You know, they want it so bad. Mm. And how, how again, important is having fun on the process then? Because I, I'll tell you, it is fucking vital. Look, I'll tell you this now. I don't know if you've played any competitive sport, but you know when you've been out there and you've had a whole lot of fun with your mates? Mm. Like, you know when you're in the gym and you know when you're feeling really good and you guys are giving you shit and you know you're kicking their ass, <laughs> right? And it's not hard, eh? And you get in this little vibe where you actually push it more and more and more. This is what I get when I'm in the gym. Yeah. I just want to push it more and more and more. I like watching them in pain and fucking, oh, my God, let's go. What, we're going to do another set? Oh, fuck, really? Do you know what I mean? I love that. Because that feeds me and I just want to keep going, you know? So with, with athletes, we talk about being in the zone. So there's a thing called the passive, assertive, aggressive continuum. Now, so many fighters seem to think they have to be aggressive to hop in the octagon. That is a big fucking load of crap. Mm. I'll put it to you this way. By definition, in the simplest of terms, what defines a leader? A leader makes good decisions, hence why they're paid in those roles, right? Mm -hmm. Generally, we will, and sometimes within that, it's not so much about being a good decision. Sometimes leadership's about making a decision. Mm. Now, when you're aggro, can you make good decisions? No, Only you can't. fucking 
you, you just you can't. Your brain's not wired up. The neurology's wrong, the physiology's wrong, the state's wrong, right? Mm. Now, when you're passive, shitting yourself, and you believe that you're going to get your ass kicked, you shouldn't even be stepping into the goddamn room. What I want is there's three states that I talk about within the assertive spectrum. The first one is calm. You look at Brad and Izzy, they're very calm. Anchor, they're very calm when they get in there. Totally. The next is I want them happy. Now, this sounds weird, but here's the thing. When you're happy, it's very hard to access negative self-talk. Yeah. Right? Think about it. You know, I get crowds. I had the fighters get up and I say, right, stand up, feet together, hands together, look up the ceiling, put a big stupid smile on your face, and without changing anything, get depressed. We can't fucking do it. Can't do it, yeah. Right? So we're overriding, we're setting ourselves up so that all the thoughts and our intentions are in alignment. The third one, well, that's, that's alter ego. Right? So working with Izzy, we were talking about what I noticed when we were having a conversation is we were talking about the right state and, and examples of that. So he started talking about the style bender. Now, I'm not savvy with all this shit, this Japanese and the cartoons and fucking whatever it is. <laughs> but what I did notice was this change in his physiology and his language. The tone changed, the physiology changed, the language changed, the assertiveness started to shine through. And I, so we just played with this. Now, in that session, Stylebender was born. Mm. Izzy came to me off two losses. Stylebender was born, and he hasn't looked back. No. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that was when Stylebender was, was created. It was massive. Because you're not stepping in the cage of Israel. You're stepping in the cage of Stylebender, right? Well, put it to you this way. Like, like I said, you know, if you had a choice to go and tackle me or tackle a 10,000 kg raging bull, which one would you choose? <laughs> I don't know. They're not, neither of them are great. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get hurt, but one's going to fuck you up for life, right? <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Can you imagine when you took on that and you're congruent with it? Hmm. Now, here's the interesting thing with Izzy. Because Izzy was already playing around with this. I think what we did is that we just maybe fine-tune this whole thing. Um, what's interesting, watch him in the fights, how he can anticipate. It's almost like there's time distortion. Mm. He is in such a state that he knows where the kick. I mean, you've seen the style. The, the kick goes past his face. Yeah, it's in a game of inches all the time. Absolutely, but his Ability to anticipate that is incredible. Mm. It's like time distortion. Another thing I've noticed with him, uh, just from like I like, I really like obviously watch the fights, but I really like watching behind the scenes footage. I like watching what they're doing afterwards. One thing I've noticed with Izzy is obviously he's got a real routine around visualization before the fights. Like yeah. in the days leading up, he's in the cage, he's leaning against yeah. it. Like when he starts, he's doing that whole routine. But then I've noticed that afterwards he like almost meditates in the cage, like when they're packing down or like afterwards yeah. and he sits there and he re reruns what happens. He talks about his shower a lot where he replays what happened in the shower. He's a yeah. super visual guy. Eh? Like he's, he's constantly yeah, running it. It was interesting because one of the first things I get my athletes to do is when you talk about your vision and I, I'm all for unrealistic goals in mm. the sense of vision. Okay. Realistic with the process, but I want the vision to be empowering. So he went away and uh, he had the the belt around him on his picture up on his wall. And the boys used to give him shit about it. Mm. But every day. So not only that, mate, we, these guys have affirmations. They laminated in the chat. Mm. They've got the affirmations. They've got the visual cues. So what... Israel is doing. You know, when we talked about most people have athletes have a flash. Yeah. So it's just a moment in time. There's no emotion associated. We, uh, look, going back to what I discussed before, 
the subconscious mind has no idea of reality or time. Mm. When you learn how to visualize correctly, and that's perceptual position. So he'll watch himself in the fight, then he'll see it through his own eyes and see himself reacting, and then he'll fast forward it. Do you know what I mean? Um, that's what he's doing. When he's touching the, ga- the, the cage or when he's touch- he's getting sensory specific with that visualization. Mm, yeah, right. And that's because what uh, the next question I was going to say is what about if, where do you start with visualization if you find it hard? Like some people uh, can do it naturally and they're very visual people and it's very easy to build that mental picture. But other people, it's very, you know, it's a struggle. Listen, it, it's like anything, it's a skill. Yeah, it's repetition, right? It's getting in and doing the work. <laughs> it's about getting into the habit. In my clients, I generally recommend they do, you know, twice a week they spend some time working on getting to that altered state. Yeah, right. right? And, and so that altered state, that's you're seeing it, but then also the feeling is, and that the actual response when you're right. feeling it in your body is a crucial part to connect right because well here's the thing when when you visualize it through your own eyes that's when you pick up the emotions and the feelings when you're watching yourself that's where you confirm the technical competency yeah right so you need the both those positions to reinforce each other right that's why we have perceptional position with our visualization process Mm -hmm. that is then started and instigated with a basic progressive relaxation process so we relax the whole body they'll start from the head down they'll be mindful of their breathing the brain waves start to change they go into a relaxed state then they um, roll out the movie that they want to play so they might see themselves being taped up and each time that tape goes on they feel more and more calmer and more empowered mm. they might fast forward to the walkout and feeling like every time, every step they take, the energy of the crowd's been injected into them. And by the time they get to the cage, they're about 18 feet tall. Mm. And super and present, you, super present. Yeah, like. Absolutely. Undoubtable belief in self. You dominate that octagon, mate. Mm. When I step in there, you are fucked. Yeah. But people, we so we can we can do that. To, you, know, you can step into a boardroom. You can step into meetings. You can step anything into difficult conversations. You, you can apply that same principle to absolutely anything that you go out and do, right? You know, when I showed you that picture on my wall, that was my vision. Because the reason I drew that because that was my biggest fear mm-hmm. was public speaking. Now you've wow. got to appreciate, mate. Here's a guy who left school at uh, fifteen with no qualifications. So you can imagine my perception. Who the fuck am I to get up on stage and tell a whole lot of people how to suck eggs? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Totally. Um, so I, I was very anxious about that, but I knew that if I could conquer that, that was massive for me. Now, the biggest problem I have is I, I just love being up there. Mm. I absolutely love it. Now it's like, fuck, I can't wait. Amazing, eh? But, but for me, there was just no fucking way you're going to get in that. No way. I remember my first presentation. I'm very blessed with a wife who's very forward thinking because she brought about three different fucking shirts. <laughs> so I sweated through the first two, mate. My God. <laughs> like, fuck, no, I ain't doing this. You get your ass up. You're getting yourself out there. What would you say to your clients? That's what my wife said to me a couple of times now. What would you say to your clients? Mm. Fuck. <laughs> She's yeah. right. You yeah. know? Congruency comes back to there again, yeah, right? Again, mate, listen, I'm not bloody perfect. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going to pretend and say that I've got it all sus, mate. No, of course, no one does. Moments. Yeah, I have my moments, mate. We're all human beings. Well, we're all on the journey. It's the perception of that. It's like as long as you, as long as you have the attitude of a learner along the journey, you're fucking winning. It's when you don't have the attitude of a learner well, mate, when you're growing and developing that you're stuck. Correct. And if you can recognize it earlier yeah. and get out of that state quicker, that's the key. What's out of it? What's your relationship with fear? Um, I I actually get excited with it now. So as in, as in, you know that when you're feeling that fear, there's you're do about you know to. I still, I still get anxious before a drink, a, a speaking engagement. Yeah, right. But now, 
that's a sign that I'm about to do something that excites me. I was about to say, the emotions of anxiety and excitement are very close together. They're very similar. They really are. And sometimes the brain doesn't know the bloody difference. Yeah, but that, that you can use that to your advantage, right? Because I hear a lot of the time people saying, it, like, anxiety is a word that's thrown around so much now. And people are like, oh, I'm anxious about this. I'm anxious about that. That's why I can't do it. Oh, I get anxious with this. And it's like, I mean, because I've done a bit of boxing and stuff and I've yeah. been around martial arts. I love martial arts, but... Um, I remember, you know, people having their first fight saying, oh, I'm really anxious about it. I was like, no, you're not. You're excited. Channel the fuck out of that. Like, you'd go deeper into that. Enjoy the fact that you've got that feeling there because that means you're about to go do something that you're fucking passionate about that you want to yeah. go and do. And that state just changed, just that little shift where they go, oh, it's excitement. Or it can be excitement if I choose it to be excitement is a fucking game changer in itself. Mate, that's brilliant. You're absolutely right. Because in that moment, what have you done? You've reframed it, and because they've reframed it, they've given themselves permission to accept it. Mm. Yeah. Because we are primarily wired to move away from pain. Yeah. Yeah, reframing's the key. I'm hearing that through and through everything that we say. It's about how you, yeah. in, how you perceive the information and then how you reframe it to use it to your advantage. I think that yeah, in itself yeah. right there is, is a ticket to, to start you know, moving towards your potential, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's certainly like sit down and go, shit, what are, what are some of my limiting beliefs? Mm. Yeah, what are the, you know, what do I really truly want in life? And how do, you, how do you, because like, how, do you just literally write those out, like with limiting beliefs? Because a lot of the time they're subconscious and you're not aware of them. It, mm. What's the balance between trying to get them out of yourself and then actually having someone else point them out for well, you? I think maybe what it comes down to is identify what it is that you want and then start the process. Because believe me, as you get close to it, more than likely it'll appear. Mm. You know? Yeah. If you're aware yeah. enough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm. and isn't, you know, really, this is what leadership is all about. In, in, in working with, with kids especially, people say to me, so what's going to happen with the coaching process? And I, I basically say to parents, look, in working with me, this is like a watered-down leadership process. You know, watered down for the kids, right? Um, but fundamentally, it's all about self-awareness. Mm. Yeah. And when you start to understand your own beliefs, um, your limiting beliefs, you know, recognize the, the self-talk. I have so many clients now that they'll say something and I'll just stop and I go, I've got to reframe that. Mm. And I went, brilliant, brilliant. Because you could have continued and it could have just affirmed that yeah. limiting belief, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, as I say, you got to mind your language. Yeah, that's the key, right? And it is about just taking control of that because, like you said, yeah. so much of that is just running on autopilot. But it's like when with goal setting, um, and that's one thing I haven't asked you about, but when people set goals, they, they A, they list, write out a whole list of goals that they want to achieve. They never set goals for how they need to show up or what intentions they need to have or how they need to interact or how they need to grow. It's always yeah. like to-do yeah. list, like I need to get this, I need to do this. It's like who do you need to become to get that is more important. And yeah, yeah. I've always, you know, firmly believed, I remember doing exercise a few years ago where like, if you've got goals and then you're here and the goals are here, you can't, you literally need to work out the identity of that person that's already achieved them and then just start living it now. How does that person walk into a room? How does that person talk to themselves? How do they show up? Like when you can start to understand that that gap doesn't close unless you start living it. <laughs> yeah. It's a fucking... Well, here's the bottom line. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying, mate. Because the, the bottom line is we behave our way to success. Exactly. How often yeah. are we setting goals? You know, I mean, a lot of the time, we're just not setting goals around our behaviors, though. It, uh, yeah. I, 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 it blows my mind that, we, that you go and search into YouTube, there'll be a million different videos on how to set goals, and I guarantee 1% of them talk about what we're talking about now, about how you yeah, actually you know, go up. <laughs> well, hey, you know, isn't it interesting how people are so incongruent, so... You think about this, the health industry, gyms. Now, summer's coming. Yeah. So every gym is going to amp up their marketing because they're going to be signing everyone up for a year membership. Mm -hmm. Where are 90% of them by winter? Yeah, gone. Well, by gone. February. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, interesting enough, you know, we, there's, there's different formulas. I'll, I'll share my formula with you, right? Which, Please. Goal setting, which is my smart test. Okay, 
So it starts with, with the goal setting process for me starts with SMART and S. And S stands for sensory and specific. So, you know, what exactly it is that you want, because how the subconscious mind works, it will do just enough. So if you say, I just, I want more money. Well, that's pretty ambiguous, right? So you think about this. How many people think like that? I, I wish I had more money, right? Totally. That's 99% of the population. God, I wish I had more money. So you think about it, how the brain works. Go, I can do that. So the wife gives you five bucks, says, go and get some milk, sweetheart. You go down there, you get some change, you get a scratchy, you win a dollar, and the brain's done its job. Yeah, totally. It's giving you more money. Yeah. What the fuck? How's a dollar going to make a difference in your life, right? Yeah. So you, got, you essentially got what you asked for, right? Exactly. So... We need to be specific and we need to be sensory specific. So that, how does that feel, taste, smell, et cetera, et cetera? What you were saying before, find someone and model that behavior. The next is measurable. But what are the measurables? Right now for, for a swimmer might be uh, we're going to divide and conquer. Now that's another principle to operate within the, the goal setting process, divide and conquer. So we have the bigger vision which is unrealistic. We then work backwards and divide it down. Now, I'll tell you something. The amount of kids coming in here and I'm going, what's the vision? Well, I want to go to the Olympics. Fantastic. So currently, what is the Olympic uh, world record? This. Okay. And what are the qualifying times here in New Zealand? This. Uh, And so you uh, say 14. And you're going, where's your time? Oh, miles off. And I said, okay, well, let's just think about this. How long have you been swimming? For two years. Okay. So how much did you improve in your time from last year? Uh, about seven seconds. Okay. Cool. So then we map it out and divide it down. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they go, oh, my God. If I continue with, with this sort of performance, I could qualify to go to the Olympics mm-hmm. in five years' time when I'm 19. Are you serious? Absolutely. You know what we give these kids is fucking hope. Mm. Sometimes hope is a beautiful bloody thing, man. Totally. You know what I mean? So there's your measurables. Then the next is most people say, um, is it attainable? Well, fuck if all the other things there, of course it is. I think what's more important is accountability. Mm, massively. Accountability will set you free because most people are very good about fucking having intentions of doing it, but not getting off their ass and fucking behaving it. Oh, we're also amazing at negotiating with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. Right. The next is R for realistic, and I talk about being realistic with the process. However, and I've had a a, a very hated debate uh, with someone very high up. Uh, in, I once in the royal, uh, I once say <laughs> in, in the armed services, the, what he said was this: you need to be setting realistic goals, otherwise you set people up for disappointment. Are you fucking kidding me? Anyone that's ever achieved anything of any fucking significance in this world has been completely fucking unrealistic, haven't they? And completely obsessed, right? So that is bullshit. That's a cop-out. Now, if you fucking want to use that, then go ahead. You'll never achieve fuck all of, any, of anything of any significance in your life. So therefore, what's the fucking point? Because there's no point in changing anyway. So I believe in being unrealistic with your vision. But that, That's what we need to all understand. I think people, you know, and myself as well, you look, yeah. you look at your ambitions and it seems so far away, but what you've got to understand is that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. Like we can grow and adapt and do anything. And when you actually fully grasp that, when you've got that growth mindset, when you understand that you can develop new skills and like nothing is unachievable. Absolutely. You know, and the last one is timeline deadline, right? But just going back to something you were saying before, um, over the last 25 years, mate, I've had, I don't know how many young people, individuals wanting to see me because they want to become a coach like me. Mm. And people say to me, why, 
why are you sharing all your information with all these coaches? I mean, you may, they're taking market share. And I'm thinking, are you fucking serious? If, if you have to operate like that, you've fucking got it all right, mate. I'm so fucking good. I, mate, I, I have a seven-week waiting list. Yeah. I've been like that for almost 20 years. It's also that's accountability to yourself as well, though. You go and go, it's yeah. like in business when someone, your businesses are like trying to hold onto their thing. Oh, we can't show anyone. Yeah, I want to share this shit. Share it. And then you've got a torch to your ass and you've got to get out and, and stay congruent, which yeah. is what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. But it gives me great. I want to make sure that when I finish, that people that are coaching are better than me, yeah. that are going on to bigger and better things, mate. I want to change the world. I want people to understand of what we're capable of doing. Mm. Yeah. You know, imagine if, if everyone could spend a, a 10 hours with a really good coach and change their life, what sort of world will we be in? A much, much, much better place. And uh, I think there's nothing greater than, get, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than when you can see potential in someone else and help them achieve it. Even when they don't see it themselves. Well, often when they don't see it themselves. Yeah, that, you and know, you know what? That, that's, it, it's so uh, incredibly fulfilling. This is the most, you know, the buzz that I get of, I'll, I'll tell you a really cool story. <laughs> I had this lady come and see me, and this has nothing to do with athletic performance. I had a lady come and see me. She was 62 years of age. This woman had been in an abusive relationship all her married life. Uh, and she was too weak to leave him. And for some reason, she phoned me and said, can I, I want to start doing some work with you. So anyway, we worked through it. Uh, she left that peak uh, and got on with her life. And I got a phone, I got a photo on my phone from her, and she's on the edge of the Harbour Bridge. And I'm thinking, oh, my, oh my God. You know what I mean? I'm thinking... Mm -hmm. Well, the fucking crazy woman's fucking bungee jumping, didn't she? <laughs> and I'm going, fucking hell. She would never, 62 years. I mean, this is a broken, timid woman who just burst into tears every 30 seconds and was a fucking victim. Who absolutely claimed her life back. And she said, you'll be so proud of me. So I wanted to do something that represented me breaking through all my fears, so she thought, fuck it, I'll jump off a bridge. Yeah, amazing. And how cool is that, man? Yeah, mate, there's nothing, just, nothing more rewarding. There's just nothing more rewarding wow. than, than those types mate, of stories. But it, it just it blows your mind. It, it moves me. And I get emotional. Yeah, I can see. I mean, you can feel the passion as soon as yeah. you start talking about the topic, and that's what can't be replaced. Have you got, yeah. you know, like – you can do all the courses in the world, but if you don't have that, you don't have a chance. And so I just want to sort of finish up. We've been talking for quite a while now. I just want to be conscious of your time and also the listeners. If there was like, cause you, you've experienced so much in, in your career. Uh, you've worked with some incredible people. You've read yeah. all those books. You've done all this, you know, you know, you've presented your own seminars. You've done speaking. Yeah. If there was three things that you in your life experience have come to think of like, if you couldn't give any other advice, if, if everything was gone and there was just three things that you could pass on to your kids or your grandkids uh, that you believe to be true and three of the most influential learnings in your life, what would they be? Well, I'm, I'm not going to give myself credit for these three things, mate. Um, I'm actually going to give it back to uh, Jim Rohn. Mm -hmm. Three steps to greatness. Number one, set goals. Two, Educate yourself. And three, have a financial plan, which includes the 10-10-10 rule. That means learn to live off 70% of your income, take 10% reduced debt, 10% invest, and 10% tithe. Give something back. I run some seminars free of charge. I truly believe in giving back to the community. I have some clients that will never be able to afford me uh, but I will look after them one-on-one. -on -one. I have a couple of um, Paralympians that I look after um, because I want to give something back. 
Mm, and I think that's really important, mate. And that's something that I've always, for me personally, uh, I've always set goals. Um, I've always been keen on learning and constantly learning. And I'm, like I said, I'm not a, a multi, multi-millionaire, mate, but I'm very, very blissfully happy in life. Mm. Um, that's, the ul- been- that's the ultimate success. Hey, mate, I just want to thank you for your time. I, I'm, it's a fascinating conversation for me. It's like mindset, mental performance, high performance is an area that I'm personally fascinated in. If you look on the bookshelf behind me there, yeah, at least half of those books will be something to do with performance. I saw the, the, one, on the, the one on the back there, the Beginner's Guide to Reading. Yeah, we've got... Uh, start, yeah, start with that one, mate. We've got the Winner's Bible there, High Performance Habits. We've got Performing Under Pressure. There's Mindset uh, by Carolyn Dweck. There's a whole range uh, of them there, it's, um, Mate, we've got some great information out there, right? Eh? It's incredible. We're so lucky. But it's just a, it's an area that I'm fascinated in. So I just wanted to say thank you for giving up your time. And I really appreciate it, particularly on a Friday night, to have a chat and add value to my audience oh, and my podcast. And um, I just wish you all the best moving forward, and I hope to continue the relationship and, and connect down the track. For sure, mate. Look, I'd be really keen to stay in touch. And Jamie, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. So there you have it guys, that was the interview with David Neathy, super passionate guy, loves what he does uh, and obviously it's just such a fascinating topic like mental skills, mindset, mental performance, regardless of what area you're in or what you're wanting to achieve to get to the next level in anything is going to require a certain amount of mental skill, mental performance. So always fascinating, I think the topics around you know reframing your kind of perspective on the world uh, or reframing the things that happen to you so that they're empowering you rather than disempowering you is really important uh, and obviously you know just getting control of your inner dialogue uh, and using things like visualization as a tool to to really focus on the outcomes that you want for your future so always a fascinating conversation if you want to learn more about Dave and the work he does it's davidneathycoach.com or you can search David Neathy performance coach or mental skills coach on Instagram uh, and Facebook and yeah as always share this one out with anyone that you think would get value from it and I look forward to connecting with you guys in the next episode